For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This morning as we continue in this series of experiencing God's power in our lives, we've looked at what our attitude should be in order to see God's power, and that is with Hands open wide, hearts open wide, giving God everything and allowing God to do His thing and we being okay with that. Last week we looked at how we can experience God's power in our lives and in the church. This, and this morning I'd like to look at how we can rely on God's power, kind of going from the head to the heart. Now, we know that everything in Scripture is there for a purpose, and the stories of God's power displayed are there for us to look back on and say, God did it back then, He can still do it now. God wants us to trust Him, and it's upsetting to Him, to put it mildly, when we don't. Last week, we touched on God's promise to Abraham and Sarah. You'll you remember that, that, and that, that they'd have a son, and you remember that Sarah laughed in ridicule and unbelief at that promise. And, and we read in Genesis chapter 18, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Then I believe God asked this question in reprimand, is anything too hard for the Lord? Then to confirm his promises, I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. When God rescued the nation of Israel from their bondage in Egypt, he led them into the wilderness where a menu was miraculously given to them, the provision of manna daily. But even with that, the Israelites began to grumble because they couldn't enjoy the variety of food that they had in Egypt, thinking back to the good old days, apparently, and the meat and the different things that they had. And in response to their grumbling, God promised to give the, that huge multitude of people a diet of meat for an entire month, so much that they would get sick of it. Then in Numbers chapter 11, we read this, but Moses says, here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, speaking to God, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish of the sea were caught for them? That's a ridiculous promise, Moses was saying to God. That's impossible. In response, God reprimanded Moses with a question of his own. A question that's vitally important for every Christian today. If 
The Lord answered Moses, Is the Lord's arm too short? Is it not sufficient? Is the Lord's power limited? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. The answer to this question is crucial, and the answer of the Bible is clear and unequivocal, and and an answer upon which we can stand. Psalm 115 says, But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever pleases Him. In Jeremiah, Ah, Lord, uh, sovereign Lord, You have made the heavens and the earth by Your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for You. Of course, we know Jesus' statement to his disciples when he said, with man this is impossible, but with God, what? Some things are possible. All things are possible. All through Scripture, over and over again. Then listen to this amazing passage in Isaiah chapter 14. The Lord Almighty has sworn, surely as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will happen. I will crush the Assyrian in my land. On my mountains I will trample him down. His yoke will be taken from my people and his burden removed from their, uh, their shoulders. Then listen to what he says. This is the plan determined for the whole world. This is the hand stretched out over all nations. For the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart it? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? It's a rhetorical question. How encouraging is that? God is in control, and He's got a plan, and He's got the power to do what He has planned. And the very first place that we see God's power manifested is in the creation of the world in which we live today. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Throughout Scripture, the creation of the world is cited as a compelling testimony to the power of God. We should be able to look around, and it should be obvious to us. Back in Psalm chapter 33, fascinating psalm, David writes of creation's proclamation of God's character, where the power of God is highlighted. Starting in verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. He gathers the water of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart from generation to generation. Folks, this is our God. Verse 6 states the magnificent power of God, emphasizing that, that it all took place with just speaking a word. Look at verse 6 for a minute. This is fascinating. Our, our English translation loses some of the significance of what David was writing here. By the word of the Lord, that's Yahweh, that's the holy name of God. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. 
I looked up the word word in the Septuagint. So what, what did he use here? Uh, Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, and guess what the word was? Logos. Isn't that interesting? Do you realize that what David said in verse 6 of chapter 33 in Psalms is exactly what John said in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2? In the beginning was the Word, Logos. Who is the Word? Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning through Him, through the Word, through Logos, through Jesus Christ. All things were made, and without Him, nothing was made that has been made. And that's exactly what David said there in verse 6. By the Word of the Lord, by the Logos of the, wor- of, of the Lord, the heavens were made. And then he continues on in verse 6, and by the breath, Ruach. We talked about that the other week. Spirit, by the breath of his mouth, all their host. So the whole Trinity, excuse me, the whole Trinity was involved in the creation of the world. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The fullness of God in his mighty power created, we call that his, uh, his omnipotence. Then in verse 7, David indicates that God not only created the heavens, but he controls them. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in the storehouses. And then a little bit later in verse 10, David goes on to tell us that God in the same way controls the affair of mankind. And that He is in control of history. The Lord nullifies, He says, the council of nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. You hear about the different nations, uh, all their plans going on. If it's, not, if it's not according to God's will, He's going to frustrate that. We can stand on that. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart from generation to generation. He also tells us what our attitude toward God ought to be in verses 8 and 9. Let all the earth (coughs) fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Why? Because he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Folks, if, we, if He can do this in the world, and in all the nations of the world, He can certainly pinpoint a tiny little place on the globe called Sile and do amazing things right here. Then you remember how God's power was demonstrated at the exodus from Egypt. After having displayed His power in creation, God's second great demonstration of power is seen at the exodus. Listen to how Exodus chapter 5 starts out. And afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him or obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And besides, I, I will not let Israel go. Boy, talk about cringeworthy statements. Folks, it's a scary thing when people said, who is the Lord that I should obey Him? I don't know the Lord. He's nothing to me. God does not take that lightly. There will be consequences. We know that in Philippians chapter 2, it tells us that the name of Jesus, one day every every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. 
Listen to God's response to Pharaoh's flippancy when Pharaoh says, Ah, who's the Lord? I don't care. Exodus chapter 7, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment I will bring out my divisions, my people the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Then God began sending those plagues, we know the story, one after another to Egypt. And after each one, Pharaoh relented and then changed his mind and hardened his heart again. Then the, 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 the next plague hit them until the tenth plague where the death angel went through and all the firstborn sons of the Egyptians, including Pharaoh's son, lost their life. And finally, Pharaoh had enough. He said, get out, get out, go. But even after that, he changed his mind and chased them to the Red Sea, where God, with his mighty power over all things of creation, parted the Red Sea. The Israelites walked through on dry ground, and when the Egyptians tried, God closed the waters over them. And in Exodus chapter 14, we read, That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him. That's the response that God always wants. He wants us to put our trust in Him. Not just for our faith, not just for our salvation, but in all things pertaining to life. We need to go to Him first, trusting that He's got the power to act. Listen to part of the song that Moses and the Israelites sang about this event. I, I wish they had musical scores in Scripture as well. I'd love to hear what the song sounded like. But the words say, your, your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt, melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. The Lord reigns forever and ever. That was their song of rejoicing. Talking about the right hand of God, the power of His arm. It refers to the omnipotence, again, of God, His almighty power. In the Old Testament, the right hand of God is used many times in a number of different ways as a, as a symbol of power, as a symbol of protection, as a symbol of God's presence, as a symbol of God's saving power, His uh, symbol of His victory and defeat of His enemies. It's also used as a symbol of, of all of God's mighty works and of punishment and judgment. And here in Exodus 15, the nation Israel praised God for the power that He displayed in delivering them from the bondage of Egypt. They professed that their deliverance proved God to be God alone. And the news of their deliverance would strike terror in the hearts of other nations. 
Not only did they see the deliverance as proof of God's power, but they also saw it as the assurance of their entrance into the land that God had promised them. So the Exodus was a massive demonstration of God's omnipotence. There are so many accounts in God's, uh, of God's power in Scripture. We're going to be looking at a number of them as we go through the summer here. But listen to how Jeremiah reveals his, gra- his grasp of God's power, demonstrating the beauty of creation and hearkening back to the exodus out of Egypt. But he also notes that God uses his power as in judgment as he disciplines his own people because they turned from him and didn't trust. He says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. You shall love. Uh, you shall you show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty. Great are your purposes, and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. You perform signs and wonders in Egypt and have, have continued them to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have gained uh, the renown that is still yours. You brought your people Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders by mighty hand and outstretched arm with his great terror. You gave them this land you have sworn to give their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. They came in and took possession of it, but, but, listen, they did not obey you or follow your law. They did not do what you commanded them to do, so you brought all this disaster on them. That was a captivity into Babylon. See how the siege ramps are built up to take the city. Because of the sword, famine, and plague, the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians who are attacking. What you said has happened, as you now see. Folks, we should never underestimate or ignore or doubt the almighty power of God. Of course, the power of God translates directly from the Old Testament into the New Testament as well. Old Testament prophecy concerning the coming of the Messiah included the fact of his power. In fact, Jesus was called, you'll remember, Mighty God. That was a a name for Jesus. Isaiah 9, verse 6. And when the Messiah's birth was announced to Mary, she was told this miraculous virgin birth would take place by the power of God. And as, as a young gal, she, was, she had a question. She wasn't ridiculing it. She said, Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I'm still a virgin? And the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month of her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Again, over and over and over, Scripture is saying, for God, with God, there, nothing is impossible. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, God's power was evident in all the miracles that He performed. Scripture tells us that all the people who saw this and experienced it were amazed at the greatness of God. When John the Baptist, yeah, even John the Baptist, while in prison, began to have second thoughts about who Jesus was. 
whether he was actually the Messiah or not, because it just didn't line up with what he thought it ought to be. Sent, sent questions to Jesus, and rather than Jesus saying, tell John, yeah, it's me. What did he say? He goes back to him, Matthew chapter 11 says, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. He's kind of saying, hello, who else would it be? Just look around at, at all the great power that is being manifested. Don't doubt. Of course, the greatest demonstration of the Lord's power, of course, is His own resurrection. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it back up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. That's ultimate power, is it not? There is no other God or, or other religious leader that has ever done that. So practically speaking, we come back to our question how can we rely today on God's power? You know, we often hear, as we have some this morning, about the power of God. Scripture is full of those examples of His power in action. He is, as Nehemiah describes Him, our God, the great God, mighty and awesome. We're taught to rely on His power to, to get us through trials such, uh, such as a job loss perhaps, maybe a sticky divorce or bankruptcy or hateful persecutions or a debilitating disease or loss of a loved one. Trust God. Learning to rely on the power of God is part of living out our Christian life. The Apostle Paul in a passage I've often quoted gives us a glimpse of the power of God when he writes this, His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, he goes on to say, is the same as a mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly Father in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority. Now the Greek word translated great is megathos. Kind of makes sense. It means strong and great. And this is, interestingly, the only place in the whole New Testament that this particular word is used. And he uses it to describe God's dunamis, His power. Of course, that's the word that we get our word dynamite from. Now, this word for great obviously wasn't sufficient for Paul to express God's great power. So he adds another word, huperbalo, huperbalo in Greek, which literally means to throw beyond the usual mark, or to excel, or to surpass. So he describes it as God's hooperbalo megathos dunamis. His exceedingly great power, His power beyond measure, His superabounding power, um, His power that is more than enough. Paul's trying his best to describe the indescribable by pouring more and more meaning into words. What Paul is really telling us is that God's power exceeds and surpasses everything. It's unimaginable power. It's beyond description. 
God spoke the universe into existence for goodness sake. He raised Jesus from the dead and placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. And he has power far beyond any possibility of being measured. Paul simply could not say enough about the greatness and majesty of God. And he was having a tough time finding the words to express the thoughts about that power. And what's amazing, what's amazing is that he said, God's hooperbalo megathos dunamis is for us who believe. That boggles my mind. So the question becomes, how? (laughs) How can I learn to rely on that tremendous power of God? First of all, we must choose to remember. Remember the things that God has done. We sang about that earlier this morning. We talked about it during the communion service. Remember the things that God has done. In Psalm 105, he says, Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. Remember. Remember the wonders He has done, His miracles and the judgments He pronounced. Every miracle recorded for us in the Bible should encourage us that His strength is more than enough for our present needs today. Over and over again in the Old Testament, God told the Israelites to remember. In Joshua, you remember, God parted the river a second time. This time it was the Jordan River at flood stage. In chapter 3 and in chapter 4, verse 2, we read this, "...choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe." And tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Why? To serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. They are a memorial to God's power. Why does He keep telling us that we need to remember? Because we are weak. And if you're anything like me, we forget so easily. We go back to relying on ourselves. God's probably not going to come through for me this time. I'm going to have to do something myself. We need to remember, and we need to trust Him. I don't know how many times my mind goes back to the myriad of instances in our own lives where God has given us divine direction, protected and healed us from diseases around the world, protected during home break-ins and carjacking in Africa. God says, remember and trust me now. I would encourage you to think back in your own life. What has God done where you can pinpoint where He intervened for you? If you like to journal, write each one down as a remembrance. You can, you can put, put up a pile of stones out in front of your house if you'd like to. But I would suggest write a journal. If you like to paint, paint a picture of each thing. If, if, if you're a carver, carve, carve something as a remembrance. Something to remember. God did it. Second way we can rely on God's power to a great degree is to stop trusting in our own frail efforts. 
and consciously hand our resources and situations over to the one who can do anything. We need to give it all to Jesus. There's a great old song that we used to sing a lot. The chorus goes, give them all, give them all. Remember that one? Give them all to Jesus. Shattered dreams, wounded hearts, broken toys. Give them all to Jesus and He will turn your sorrow into joy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Jesus reminded Paul that His power is made perfect in weakness. We saw that last week as we looked at that, that young boy there, the feeding of the 5,000, and he gave all he had, five loaves, two fish, gave them to Jesus, and then Jesus did the miraculous with that hooperbalo megathos dunamis of his. Joshua stood helpless before the walls of Jericho, but he trusted the Lord's battle plan. Zerubbabel faced the daunting task of rebuilding the temple in Zechariah chapter 4, and God reminded him that the work would be done not by might nor by power. It's not our efforts. God doesn't need our efforts. But by my Spirit. Same word, Ruach. Spirit of God. But by my Spirit. Again, We have that same Ruach, the Spirit of God, living in us to work powerfully in us individually and in us as a church body. Do we trust Him? Do we trust Him? And thirdly, prayer. Always come back to prayer. Prayer is another vital part of relying on the power of God. And as we pray, your will be done... That sounds simple, right? Easy to pray the Lord's Prayer. Just kind of repeat it. But you see, when we pray, your will be done, we are praying, not my will to be done. Unless they're one and the same. And that's what actually God wants. He wants our will to be conformed to His will. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock and it will be opened to you. For anyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Are we asking with the correct motives and the right desires? Are we seeking his will in order to follow them? It, excuse me. Are we knocking and looking for the opportunities that he then opens for us? You know, it was after a prayer meeting in the early early church in Acts chapter 4, and it says the place where they were meeting was shaken. It was during a prayer meeting. They were praying, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. It was during a prayer meeting that, that Peter was miraculously re- released from prison. We need to practice praying with expectation and anticipation. General Counsel's theme for the Christian Missionary Alliance out in Spokane, Washington this past week was expectant. Expectant. Are we expectant? Are we expecting God to work? You see, no matter how weak or ill-equipped we may feel, we can rely on the power of God. It's the same from yesterday. It's the same today. It's going to be the same tomorrow. We have His assurance that He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is work 
within us. We have confidence that ultimately God will accomplish His good in our lives. There in Romans, you know the verse, in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. One final thought. You know, I realize it's easy to be thinking, you know, Pastor, I, I get all that. I, get, I, I believe it. I understand it. But I'm still finding it really difficult to believe that I can do that and He will do that. Let me answer that with a story from Mark chapter 7, a father who brought his son to Jesus for healing, a son who was possessed by an evil spirit. And he told Jesus, spirit had robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, the father said, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't. I love Jesus' response. You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? You should have known better by now. Bring the boy to me, Jesus said. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how, how long has this been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has, been, uh, it has often thrown him into a fire or water to kill him. Then the father said this to Jesus, listen, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can? Seriously? If you can? Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Folks, we can pray that prayer as well. If we're struggling in believing and stepping out in faith, we believe it here, we're struggling here, we can proclaim, we can exclaim like the Father did, I do believe, help me in my unbelief, help me to believe down in my soul that you will do this. That's where God wants our hearts and He will. He, that's what He wants to do for us. Folks, as we look at, to see what God is going to do in our lives and in our church, let's remember the amazing thing that God has done in the past. But We can't stay there in the past. It's good to remember. And let's give our all to Jesus, including control, and allow Him to do His thing. And let's pray. Pray with expectancy, asking God to accomplish His will in and through us. Can we do that? Father, this morning, thank You that You are a God with great and mighty power. It's never changed, never will change. And that power is available to us who love Jesus. And Father, it's, it's sometimes hard to get that belief from our minds down into our hearts and to step out in faith. We need to be going to You first. 
rather than trying things on our own. We need to come to you and say, Here, here's my problem. I, I don't know how to handle this. Please show me how to handle this or please take care of it for me. And trust Him. And Father, I pray that you would work in our lives individually, but Father, work in our church. Again, we believe that you are in the process of doing great and mighty things here. We believe. <laughs> Help our unbelief. Let us step out in faith. Father, we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen.